0: let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Father God, as we come before you this morning to hear your word preached and proclaimed, Lord, I ask that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak and open our hearts and minds to the truth that you have for us. Lord, as we ponder prayer and the prayers that we take before you, Lord, we, we have so often opened our hearts to you. We have so often prayed to you. And I know many here are like me, and we have prayed to you deep prayers. Prayers that have welled up from our hearts and minds and souls. The prayers that have seemingly gone unanswered or have been answered no. And we have wondered why. Are you a good God? Are you a God who hears us? <clears throat> are you even out there? Lord, I pray that this morning you would teach us why that happens. Lord, that this morning you would help us to begin to understand the answer to that mystery. Lord, there are tough things that happen in our lives. We don't always understand why. Why? Please help us to begin to understand these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So I love that Sarah said, Oh, wait. It's like she uh, thought about my sermon this week. And uh, we will see why, because she paused and said, Oh, wait, at the perfect point. The opening chapter of Job is fascinating. How many have ever read Job? Anyone ever read Job? So the opening chapter is a fascinating um, uh, look at a difficult life, right? So Job has everything he could ever want. If you've never read Job, I would encourage you at least to read the first two chapters. Now, it's worth reading the whole book, of course, but read the first two chapters. It's a dark tale of Satan or the accuser, right? It's the accuser at first um, visiting Job. and um, Excuse me, visiting God. And they appear to make this bet at the very beginning, right? Uh, Or this, well maybe not bet, but God says, have you seen my servant Job? Now, Job has everything. Job has a great family. He has great wealth. He has a land. He has cattle. Like in those days, he is blessed. Now, he's a man of God, and he should be blessed, and we think, wow, if you're living right, why wouldn't things go well? Now, we often think that Job is probably the first book actually written in the Bible, or it's at least earlier than a lot of other things written. Now, we're not sure but because of the writing, it, it may have been the first book. Some people think it was written by Moses. Some people think it was written by somebody else. But it is a very fascinating book. So large land, large, lots of servants, large family, and presumably an amazing wife. And if you go on to read the book, you'll find that he has actually fabulous friends. Because when he's in mourning and grief, these friends come and lay with Job, and are silent for seven days while he's in grief because all of this was taken away. And you'll read in Job 1.8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless man and upright who fears God and turns away from evil. This is a holy guy. This is a godly man. None like him on the earth. And we would expect this for him, especially in light of our passage this morning, 1 John 3, 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And so you would expect this, right? A man who prays, who is in God's will, we should get what we ask. How many of you have prayed and gotten what you asked for, right? We've all had that happen. Now, I would ask you also this. How many of you have prayed... And forgotten that you got what you asked for. Right? I did this one time. I kept a prayer journal. I kept uh, for three years. I kept prayer journals. I got these fancy pens. You know those little fountain pens. Just because I really liked getting into prayer journaling. I was just really into it. Right? So I was one of those just kind of prayer journal nerds. And so I did it. And I wrote my prayers out. And I really liked writing my prayers out. And I would do it all the time. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and, I wrote. and Years later, and I've told my congregation this, if you're new to the congregation, you haven't heard this, but I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I had prayer journals all the time, and then like a couple years later, I went back, and I was like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I knew God answered prayers, and I wasn't doubting that he answered prayers, but I flipped through my prayer journal. Right? I was kind of struggling one day, and I flipped through this prayer journal, and I was like, boom, 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 boom. And man he had answered prayers on pretty much every single page. Like, even some minor prayers that I hadn't even thought about that were pretty stupid. And In fact, some of them I was a little embarrassed about. Like, I actually prayed for that? And here's the thing. I had forgotten how many prayers that God had answered. I had forgotten 90% of the prayers that I had prayed that God had answered. And I was in this moment of doubt. How shallow was I, right? So he prays. This man does. And yet, he doesn't get what he asks for. Instead, Job loses everything. God gives Satan permission to take everything from Job. He loses his wealth. He loses his servants. He loses his animals. God takes his dog. Well, I don't know if he had a dog. But he takes everything. It's like a country song. And then, last of all, it's worse than a country song. There's no country song that has this. He loses all of his children, and he has a lot of children. He loses them all. Can you imagine, moms and dads, your baby dies. You can imagine losing one baby. Can you imagine losing two babies? and then three babies, and then four, and then five, and then six, and then seven, and you have it happen all at once. There's more than that, actually. And you get told. What would you do? Would you fall on the ground and curse God after all this? You found all these things happen to you? How can a thing like that happen to a man who loves the Lord in the light of a passage like this? <clears throat> or in a passage in the gospel like Luke eleven nine 9 to 10. And I tell you, Jesus says, and we read it this morning, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. I mean, if John mentions it here and builds upon Jesus' teachings in Luke, how is it? That good, a good and loving God wouldn't answer the prayers of a man like Job and allow this kind of thing to happen. And Jesus says other passages about answering prayers. I mean, doesn't it say here that if we ask, God'll do it? We're going to look at this this morning. So our section actually starts off with a pretty difficult passage, and Sarah Pickle picked up on that, First John 3:19 to 21. "By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before Him, or whenever our heart condemns it. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is a difficult passage to read. It's a tricky passage. The difficulty here lies in the translation. Now, I actually don't want to get lost in this passage. This is really a Bible study passage, not a sermon passage. I would need to throw the Greek up here, which I want to do in another Bible study. I'm doing this in our Thursday Bible studies, by the way. If you zoom in on Bible studies on Thursday, you get to get the Greek, but not during August because we're taking a break. Anyway, uh, but we would have to break down the Greek, and there's a lot of little technical work that I would have to show you, so I don't want to get lost in the weeds. On This passage and your translators have to make some really difficult calls And so for that reason I would encourage you to read multiple translations on this particular passage Um, And so I don't want to anyway, it's just pretty difficult But the basic gist of the translation problems here comes down to a couple things Basically What does it mean that God is greater than our heart? And, and the translation is confusing. What is John saying here? He could be saying, is God more merciful than our hearts, as in, now follow me, as in that our hearts condemn us for our sins, okay, so our hearts could be condemning us for our sins, but have no fear because God knows this even more deeply and is even more just, and despite all of that, through Jesus, God is able to forgive us and does not condemn us. Follow me on that? In this way, John is preaching to us to forgive ourselves and stop beating ourselves up. So how many of you have been in a situation where you can't forgive yourselves? Your hearts condemn you and you beat yourselves up. Even though we've prayed for forgiveness on Sunday morning, right? That's why I stand up and say you're forgiven as far as the east is from the west now how far is the east from the west do you remember have you measured the east to the west okay i want you to go home and i want you to measure the east to the west and then come back next week tell me how far that is okay okay how far is the east from the west do you remember have you ever measured it okay you do that too All right, so the east is from the west. Parents, if you can have your kids measure the east from the west this week, come back and tell me how far is the east from the west, and that's what we're saying, and that's how far your sins are separated from you when you've repented. And then are your hearts still condemning you when you walk out? Now, that doesn't mean there's no consequences for your sin. I walked in here, oh, I murdered somebody, I asked for forgiveness, now I can walk out, there's no no forgiveness, I'm okay. I can go murder someone else and then come back next week. No, there's still consequences sometimes. However, our hearts are not supposed to condemn us. We need to trust that the Lord takes away. Now, the other way of reading this is that our hearts condemn us precisely because God is greater than our heart, And the heart in which, uh, by the way, the heart which we're talking about in Scripture is different from our heart in America. When we talk about the heart in America, we mean emotion, right? I love you, right? We think about that. My heart is falling for you. I have so many feelings for you, right? We had a lot of ladies, all the girls and We had a lot of in-law girls, my daughter-in-laws and stuff were at a house, and so they put on love movies the other day. So it's saturated in this. This is very difficult, very difficult for me. I try to watch one or two love movies. My wife's going to come to the second service. One or two love movies a year, I throw her a bone. It's very difficult for me. I had to watch, it was difficult. Anyway, so love is an emotion, it's a feeling. I know, it was hard for me. It was a feeling, and that's what it is, right? But in Hebrew, right, love is the love is the heart, the mind, the will. That's what they're talking about when they say the heart. It's a complete thing. That's what I like movies about, the heart, the mind, the will. Right? Like Die Hard. That's about the heart, the mind, the will. Right? So in this way, the other way of reading is that our hearts condemn us precisely because God is greater than our heart, and the heart, which, script, which in Scripture is not the seat of emotions, is a modern notion, right? So the heart, the mind, the will is the Hebrew notion. So in this way of thinking, the heart or the law remember the law the heart, the mind, the will, condemns us because it is acting on God's behalf. So is the heart, and it's acting on God's behalf. So interestingly, either reading is true to Scripture, all right? Scripture talks about both, and that's why scholars are confused. So, how do you reconcile this? The main gist of the passage, either way, is that God is greater than our hearts, and that when our heart is pointing out that sin or our conscience is eating at us, that we need to take it to God who is greater than our conscience. Our conscience is part of our labor, our heart, mind, will, and I, as such, is fallen and not perfect. It's capable of bothering us correctly or incorrectly, right? So your conscience, because it's created by God, can draw you to God and can beat you up after you've been drawn to God. And so either way, you need to take it to God. And you need to be be conscious of that. You need to be cognizant of that. You need to pay attention to that. If I've asked for forgiveness and it's still beating me up, I need to take that to God and trust that He's forgiven me. And if I've seared my conscience, or if I've really, if my conscience is bothering me on a particular sin, I need to pay attention to it and go to God and repent and not ignore it. And that's really, either way, John is saying, well, whatever he's saying, we need to pay attention to that. God is greater, and we need to take it. The second part, though, in this context, John tells us to ask of the Lord. Either way, and he builds into this next verse. 1 John three twenty-two, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments, and we do what pleases him. And this is where proof texting often comes in and gets so many people in trouble. Do you know what proof texting is? So the context of a verse matters. For our young people, what I mean by that is that in Scripture it's not good when somebody memorizes a sentence or a verse and then pulls it out of context and then uses it for whatever they want. We do this all the time, right? I memorize a verse or I memorize a passage And I take that passage out of context and I use it for whatever I want. But if I read it in the passage of the verse, it means something completely different. And a lot of times people will take these passages about God answering prayer and they'll use it to say, well, God should answer my prayers. And so we see this very often in the health and wealth gospel people or the name it and claim it people. And they'll say, look, God says here that he wants to answer prayers, and he will answer the prayers of anyone who asks. And so if I ask, it should be answered. We see this from a preacher like Joel Osteen, right? right? If you pray, it should be answered. We see it from all kinds of people. Oral Roberts would say All these other preachers would say it. And so if you pray for a thing, it should be answered. And if it's not answered, that means you've either sinned or you don't have enough faith. How many of you have heard that before? In Scripture, and they'll point to it right here. And so Scripture must be false if it doesn't come true, or you must be false. And so a lot of people really struggle with this. After all, that's what it says in the Gospel passage. But most of us are not health and wealth people or name it and claim it people. Most of us are simply confused by these passages. I mean, Jesus and John do say these things, and yet Jesus and John both live lives in which their prayers are clearly not answered in the ways in which they, are wi- in which ways that which they wish. Excuse me. Luke 22, 42 says this. From Jesus. Father. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Job 2 loses everything despite being a man of God. And at the end of losing it all, we read this from him. Listen to this passage. He says this after losing his children. Job 1.20. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, and shaved his head and fell on the ground, and cursed God, and screamed, and yelled, and said, I give up, God, you are mean to me. Oh, wait. Sorry. That's what I did. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Now Job speaks to the absolute depth of faith that few people have. Here's why. I was thinking about this the other day. He has an understanding of life and eternity that is rare in people of any age and in any age. Most people who face far less would not do this. They would question the goodness of God. Heck, I know people who question the goodness of God when they don't get the job they wanted or the car they like. There was an NFL receiver who questioned the goodness of God when he dropped a pass in a game and lost the game. Many people question the goodness of God when they can't answer questions in a philosophy class. But Job shows us something else. That there's more going on in the world, and the spiritual realm, than just our desires. Certainly Job is a poem in parts. However we explain the entirety of the poem, it's speaking to something beyond the here and now. It's showing us that there is so much more going on cosmically than our everyday desires. So what does this mean for our everyday requests? Well, it means that God does answer prayers, and we should pray, but our prayers, they fit into a cosmic realm, a cosmic framework, and the plans for the cosmos, and sometimes that means that things will not be answered in the way that we wish them to be answered, and the reason for that is not that God is evil, or mean, or a liar, though it may seem like that to us, and this is Job's point at the beginning, and the point of the poem at the end the ways of God are too massive for us to understand, and the events that happen in our lives are part of something that has consequences on a scale that we can't imagine. Some things that we pray for are wrong, and some things that we pray for are neutral, and other things are good, and God will and does answer many of our prayers, right? But sometimes our prayers are simply not answered. And sometimes those no's are exceedingly painful. And in the immaturity of our faith, we shake our fists at the sky. We don't understand why. But there's a reason why. Those prayers fit into a cosmic scale. Into a big tapestry. Our lives are but one thread in this big tapestry. If I were God, I would do it differently, we say. If I were God, I would be more kind, but would you? Look at your own life, warts and all, and if you had absolute power, and I want you to ask yourself this. If you had unlimited power, infinite time, knowing your life, knowing in the darkness of your life what you do, if you had infinite power and time, what kind of God would you be? Honestly. Honestly. How do you treat the worst people in your life? What, what kind of thoughts do you have about people you don't like, you don't care for? How would you treat them? How could you plan for eternity? And more to the point, on a cosmic and eternal scale, we see that events now impact future generations. And the answer to some prayers have to be no. Why? Because the effects in the future would be damaging. We see that some prayers have to be no because God is shaping us or someone else for something that we or they didn't expect. Some prayers have to be no because it's our time to go home to heaven. And when that happens, we need to understand that this doesn't change the nature of God. He is still good and all wise, and in our pain, we simply need to trust that and perhaps ask why. Bowman will sit in on the second sermon. We have two sermons, of course, two services today. I've seen 48 patients this week in the COVID units. Um, Mike has seen lots of patients in the COVID units. And several of them didn't make it this week. We prayed for them. Mike and I pray for people all the time that die. We lay our hands on people all the time some of those people were young, and people are asking why. I've walked into units, not COVID, where moms lost their babies, and they're asking why. And they're Christians. Things happen in this world that are difficult, but they're still part of a plan, because each one of those difficult things impacts people and things that are going to happen in the future that we can't possibly know. They impact people and cousins and uncles and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And there are times when you have to trust in the goodness of God. But we also need to know that God does answer prayer. And He usually likes to do so. Well, He answers all prayer. Prayers are sometimes answered no. I should say that is an answer. But he answers yes also. And we need to take our prayers to him. We are called to talk to him and to share with him and to communicate with him. And then as we draw closer to him, we begin to ask those things that are in his will. And our prayers become more about spiritual growth And less about our desire for a blue car or a red car. Though God answers those from time to time as well. I can tell you that from my prayer journal. And when we are in his prayers, we become more mature. And those things we begin to ask for become increasingly fulfilled. Because as we're more mature, we begin to move into his kingdom. And we begin to desire things for his kingdom. we begin to think in a very different way. We begin to move out into the world and desire to make a difference in other people's lives for the kingdom of God. Those prayers begin to become a very different creature. This week, here's my challenge. Start a prayer journal. Start a prayer journal with your family. If you're praying at dinner, lunch, breakfast, you're praying on your own, just journal your prayers. At the end of a few months, look back, has God answered? At the end of a year, look back, has God answered? Also look back at what you're praying about. See if they've changed. Also want you to pray about your prayer life. God, strengthen it. Make me more like you. Help me to change in my prayer life. Help me to grow in my prayer life. That's my challenge for you. See how it changes, all right? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to come together. I thank you so much for this congregation, the visitors, everyone here, everyone who'll be watching today and watching during this week. Lord, I pray special protection for everyone here for this uh, COVID